Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Proverbs. You can start in chapter 6 as we've been doing the last few weeks. We're going to be all over the place, so hopefully your fingers are nimble and you can navigate through the book of Proverbs with us this morning. We are in search this summer of wisdom. Um, but the Bible is loaded with wisdom, but it's concentrated in the book of Proverbs, which is what we've been studying week after week after week. God um, has not only given us the law, not only given us the direction, but he's also given us wisdom for daily life, practical um, wisdom to get through uh, the situations that constantly ri- arise in our lives. And so we've been covering this main section of Proverbs from chapter 10 to 30, theme by theme. If you read through it, it looks kind of like it's random collection of sayings. But if you, if you look at it with a theme in mind, you can actually collect a, a large um, pile of wisdom. And so that's what we've been doing. We've been looking at it theme by theme. The last two weeks, Josh Hay has preached uh, two incredible messages on on words, the power of words, words that hurt, words that help. If you've not listened to that, I would strongly encourage listening to those that were challenging, encouraging. This morning, I hope to say some helpful words on work. So we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 6. Let's look at verses 6 through 11, classic text on work, and then we'll pray. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Pray with me. Lord, we've gathered in this room because we are hungry, needy people. We've not gathered here because we have it all figured out and we want to show the world how perfect we are. We've gathered here because we are unwise Especially as we go about our work, Lord, we are unwise. And so we're hungry. We're hungry for your word, Lord. Would you nourish us? Would you uh, open our eyes to areas that we may be weak in, Jesus? Maybe areas that are destroying us. I pray that your word would open our eyes, but I pray that we would awaken to a loving and gracious Savior that is ready to restore us. That's my prayer for this church this morning, Jesus. Would you be with us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've raised children over the last few decades, you know how beloved unicorns are. The mythical beast practically sells itself. It's colorful. It's got that long, mysterious horn, and it flies. Kids love the unicorn. But earlier this year, the unicorn received some difficult news. I read an article this week on the, from the online vintage store Etsy. Uh, they, they, it's an online craft store. And they, they wrote an article that said that the pop culture reign of the unicorn had finally come to an end. It had been replaced... Are you ready for this? By the sloth. I'm, I'm not kidding. This is one of my favorite pictures. <laughs> Apparently this was a prank a while ago. People putting this on other people's desks and that's awesome. The sloth, no lie, the sloth has slowly, pun intended, climbed the ladder to pop culture dominance. If you don't think, if you think I'm crazy and you don't believe me, just go to Hobby Lobby. Sloths are everywhere. You're going to start seeing these in pop culture. They're on bags, they're on cups, they're on mugs, they're on whatever you, you can think of. They're putting sloths on them. Former societies have prized the strength of the lion or the power of the eagle. We prize the sluggishness of the sloth. Welcome to America. There we go. Our goal is to get home, throw a microwave dinner in the uh, microwave, turn on Netflix, and wake up in a pile of drool sometime after midnight. That's our, our, our national goal. Maybe it's not that bad for you. Maybe it's not that off the rails for you yet. But see if these words from Wendell Berry don't ring true in your life. We can say without exaggeration that the present national ambition of the United States is unemployment. What do you mean by that? 
People live for quitting time, for weekends, for vacations, for retirement. Moreover, this ambition seems to be classless. It's true in the executive suites as on the assembly line. One works not because work is necessary, valuable, useful to a desirable end, or because one loves to do it, but only to be able to quit. There's a condition that saner times would regard as infernal, a condemnation. Those are harsh words. It was written in the 1980s. And I would say we've only gotten worse. We're confused about work. We're raising a generation that is even more confused about work. We, we need wisdom. How do wise people, how do people that fear the Lord go about their jobs from day to day? Solomon has plenty of advice for us this morning. And so we're excited to look at it. We're gonna look at our outline, but again, it's more of a journey because Solomon's not gonna give us a, a, a teaching or a theology on work. He's gonna take us on a journey. Solomon loves to show us. And so we're gonna make three stops in our tour this morning of work. What happens when you don't work? What happens when you do work? So the first stop is this. Observe the laid back life of a sluggard. The sluggard is an old fashioned biblical word for a lazy person. We're gonna observe his laid back life. Then we're gonna observe his rundown house. It doesn't come without consequence. And then finally, we're gonna observe an ideal example of someone that fears the Lord, how, how this person works. So let's jump in. Let's make our first stop. Let's go to the laid back life of a sluggard. Now the sluggard is a complex character in the Proverbs. You read about a lot of different character types. There's the fool, there's the scoffer, but then you get to the sluggard. Really interesting character in the Proverbs. The sluggard on the outside is very laid back, easygoing, he's likable. You probably have a lot of friends like this. Just very easygoing. Maybe you're one of these. We'll see in a second. There we go. Really fun, fun person to be around. But he's got some character flaws that are eating away his soul. And so Solomon, when he talks to the sluggard, is going to use a different tactic, and it's a stroke of genius, really, what he's doing. He's going to employ humor, talking to the sluggard. When he talks to the fool, he pounds him straight ahead. The fool will, will perish, but he talks to the sluggard with, with humor. And it kind of reminded me of a, uh, a street painter at a carnival. Have any of you ever gotten one of these? where you go to a carnival and you know the street painter will paint a caricature of you? If so, you are a brave soul. Because in 30 minutes, you will get a picture that looks a lot like you, but you will notice some unsightly details about yourself, won't you? Oh, great, my nose really is big, and he sees it too, right? <laughs> my hair really is falling out. Ugh. When Solomon speaks to the sluggard, he's going to employ humor. It's a funny section of the Proverbs. But his humor will pack a punch. It's meant to highlight some character flaws that are destroying the sluggard. It's destructive. So we can find at least three problems in the Proverbs concerning this character, the sluggard, the one that doesn't work. First, they don't start things. The sluggard doesn't start things. Look at Proverbs 26, 14. As the door turns on its hinges, so does a slugger turn on his bed. They have the hardest time starting the day. The sun comes up, but the slugger just keeps tossing and turning. It's like they are just, uh, the only strength they can muster is to flop from one side to the next. It's like somebody has screwed them into their bed. They are hinged down. Does it ever feel that way? High school students, does it ever feel that way? Hinged to your bed? They have the hardest time starting the day. There's no motivation. It's a funny example, but it highlights a character flaw in the lazy person's life. They don't start things. Hey, it's a new day. You've got lots of things to do. Life requires a tremendous amount of initiative, but the slugger doesn't care. I'll start it later. It's, it's a long day. The sun will be up forever. They don't start things. It's a strong warning for us. 
2019 in our digital world because it has never been easier to procrastinate. I worked in college ministry for a long time and there's creative ways that you can procrastinate and put off that project that is looming and just, they just don't start projects. Most of us bought a cell phone, ironically, to make our work more efficient. Is that how we use our cell phones though? We use our work to dodge work or our cell phones to dodge work, to sidestep work. Procrastination has never been easier in our lives. Sluggards refuse to start a thing, and unfortunately for us, it's never been easier to kick back and relax. We can toss and turn in our bed figuratively all day long and, and avoid hard things in our lives. Second, sluggards don't finish things. When they finally do get around to starting a project, you can count on him to, to just leave it halfway done. Um, look at this verse in chapter 26, verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> Poor guy. You know how much energy it took to get that spoon into the bowl of cereal? That last leg of the journey is just going to be just too much. He's going to have to wait for his mom to come and support that elbow. Get that back up. To, there you go. There you go. That's the sluggard. Again, this is a funny example, but it highlights a glaring problem in this sluggard's life. And it's really tough to hear when we translate this to our world now. How many of you have on your bookshelf a load of books with a bookmark stuck in the second chapter? <laughs> I want to start that book, but I'll do it later. How many of you, when you set out to read the Bible, get lost with the Israelites in the wilderness in the book of Leviticus? I was doing so good, and then I got lost. How many of you have tools laying around your house from projects that you started but just couldn't finish. I one time brought a Christmas tree to the dump on April 1st. <laughs> they give you funny looks when you've got a Christmas tree loaded up and the flowers are coming out in the spring. Um, I didn't have to consult a commentary to find my examples. I just had to walk through my house. It's a glaring flaw. It's a major flaw. And because of this, Solomon will say that, listen, if you send a slugger to do a job, it will be like sending smoke to someone's eyes. That's a vivid example, isn't it? Next time you're at a campfire this summer and the smoke blows at you and your body contorts, I want you to remember that verse. It's like smoke to the eyes. Sluggards, they're really nice people, but don't count on them to do the job. He's a great guy, but don't hire him. That, that's what it's like to work with a sluggard. They, they won't finish things. Third, they don't face things. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen has become one of my favorites. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Is there a lion outside? Maybe. Will he get killed? Probably not. <laughs> but he's going to use this as an excuse to get out of work. The sluggard is the king of excuses. They have a pile of projects that need to be started or need to be finished. But whenever you ask them, hey, when are you going to start that project? Back off, man. I've got, there's, a, there's a nice excuse tied to every single one of them. Last Wednesday night at about 11.30, Laura and I were getting settled and I was laying down and I had just taken that breath, you know, where you're like ready to fall asleep and it hit me. We didn't take the trash to the street. It's trash morning, Thursday morning. What am I going to do? There's options, right? <laughs> I, I went through the Rolodex of excuses in my head. I can't get out this late. It's dangerous out here. <laughs> we're in Boone, right? right? You know, it's dangerous. It could happen. Tonight could be the night, right? It's starting to get cold up here. I could catch a cold. Maybe, maybe I could stretch it to two weeks. I'll just jump in it in the morning and get that trash down. There are bears up here, and I've heard there's a bear in our neighborhood. 
But all of my excuses fell flat. You know why? Because I'm preaching on the Proverbs and this one about the lion sticks out to me. All of my excuses were just excuses. I needed to face that reality and get the trash down by the road. Um, the sluggard has a litany of excuses at his disposal. The sluggard has to. Because they're avoiding life. And things are piling up. And so when you, you confront them, why, why aren't you doing that? No, nobody's going to sympathize with you if you're just lazy. If you stay inside all day and play video games, nobody's going to sympathize with you. But if you can get them to connect with you on an emotional level, that's what sluggards are after. Right? Oh, man, yeah, of course, stay inside and play video games all day long. If there were a lion outside of my door, that's exactly what I'd do. Man, poor guy. Play, play on. Play your video games. We're starting to get to the root of the problem, what makes the character flaw of the sluggard so dangerous. They have a desire for comfort. They are addicted to ease. They don't want to do any hard thing, and so they are addicted to an easy, easy life. They have a selfish desire for comfort, and so this is what they do. They twist the truth. What they know to be true, they twist it because their heart wants what their heart wants. They want an easy life, and they bend reality. They won't face hard things. Good luck trying to persuade a sluggard to get up and work. He's not going. This is why Solomon says in Proverbs 26, 16, really fascinating verse, the sluggard, the lazy person, is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. When you see the number seven in the Bible, that's powerful. The perfect reason, the seven men who can give a, an honest, straightforward example and tell them about reality, seven men, the, the sluggard's wiser in his own eyes. You would think that he'd say this about the fool or the scoffer. No, he says it about the lazy person. Because the lazy person is addicted to comfort. You could talk a fool out of his folly before you could talk a sluggard out of his sleeping bag. They're hiding under the covers of life. They're not getting out. Arrogantly committed to a life of ease. Get out of my room and turn the lights, on, turn the lights off on the way out. That's the condition of our society, is it not? We're unwise when it comes to work. We're addicted to comfort and ease. We live for quitting time. We don't want to work. We want to get home and we want to relax. And because of this, it's made us arrogant. I wonder if that's where the arrogance that you see on social media is coming from. It's coming from an addiction to be laid back. This is a life of cheap and short-term pleasures. But according to the Proverbs, this life will, will reap a long-term disaster. To make his point, Solomon will simply drive us past the house of a sluggard. This is the second stop on our tour. We've seen the laid back life of a sluggard. Let's step outside now and look at his yard. Are you ready? Second point, the rundown house of a sluggard. Look at verses 24, 30 to 34. I've got it up there wrong. 30 to 24, but it's 30 to 34. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. And the stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and I considered it. I looked and received instruction. I love Solomon can find wisdom everywhere. He can find examples of this everywhere he looks. I just looked at the yard and I thought about this. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. And what happens? Poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Laziness is not neutral. 
You can stop working your yard, but your yard will not stop working. Let me say that again. You can stop working your yard, but your yard will not stop working. The thorns and the nettles, the, thing, the things that will destroy you, the things that you don't want in your life, they will grow without one bit of effort on your part. Take it easy and watch the chaos grow. Laziness invites a powerfully destructive force in your life. And here's why it's so destructive. You can't see it. It doesn't initially come upon you like a robber or like an armed man. It comes slowly, day by day, but you will have to wake up and face it. Solomon simply takes us to the house, to the field of a sluggard to make his point. You can't live in this home anymore. The yards don't produce anything. The, fruit, the, the trees don't produce any fruit. The lazy person will wake up one day and they will say, how did my life come to this? Where did all this chaos come from? Solomon will tell us, he just has to look at your yard. It happened little by little, day by day, step by step. One sluggish day led to another. One lazy evening led to another. One morning of just pounding the snooze, tossing and turning, led to another, to another, to another. It happened in such small doses that you couldn't even see it. And you wouldn't listen when reality, when your friends, when other people were talking to you because you were wiser in your own eyes, you just cast it off, crept up on you. Think about it this way. This is what, why we need wisdom so badly. It's not often that a, a long line of sinful choices lead to this kind of destruction. It's a long line of unwise choices. Think about it this way. If you, tonight, You've had a hard week, you've had a hard day, you've got some things that you really need to face up to and deal with. But tonight you're just a little tired. You deserve a break, don't you? You deserve a break and so scroll in your bed through Facebook for an hour. Play an hour's worth of solitaire, whatever it is, just distract. Is that a sin? Probably not, just a little rest. Okay, do it tomorrow night because tomorrow is even harder than today and, and, and it's adding up. Just do it tomorrow. Is it a sin for you to do it tomorrow night? Just a little folding of the hands to rest. There's nothing wrong. I'm just relaxing, I'm just resting. But here's the problem, if you do this night after night after night and you never face hard things and you always choose easy things, it will creep up on you, it will confront you. Solomon wants you to wake up and focus on today, not tomorrow, tomorrow's abstract. It doesn't exist. Today is right in front of you though. Wake up and look at today. How are you living this day? Listen to Andy Dillard. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and with that one, that's what we're doing. The sluggard lives under a delusion that I can waste this hour, waste this hour, waste this hour and somehow get him back. You can't get him back. When they're gone, they're gone. So what you're doing is, is what you're doing. Do you, do you see that? If you're lazy, you're lazy. If you refuse to face hard things, your unwise choices will catch up to you. It doesn't matter how solid your excuses are. They will run out one day. They'll catch up to you. If you constantly avoid work, you will reap what you sow or what you refuse to sow, you'll reap it. You might not bear the consequences tonight, so carry on. Binge yet another show, but listen, you will bear the consequences. I want that to sit heavy this morning. You will bear the consequences. And here's the tragedy of laziness. It's not so funny anymore. We can laugh at the sluggard. It's not a funny problem when we get to this point. Here's the problem of laziness. Usually when you wake up, it's too late. 
time has gone and you have nothing left. This is the message of the prophets. This is the message of Jesus. Over and over and over, he says, wake up. Wake up, stop being drowsy, stop sleeping, wake up. Matthew chapter 25, he tells a powerful message on the coming of the king. He told a story about 10 virgins who were waiting upon the bridegroom to be entered into this party. Five of them were wise. They showed up with oil, plenty of oil. They were diligent. They waited all night long. And guess what? When the bridegroom came, they were ready. They were received into the party. But you remember the five unwise virgins, don't you? They drew, grew drowsy. They slept. I got plenty of time. I can, I can waste this hour. I can waste the next hour. They fell asleep. And at that moment, he came. Lord, Lord, they said, look at the text. Open to us. But he answered, I say to you truly, I do not know you. And this is the words of Jesus. Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. Oh Lord, would you wake us up before it's too late? Some of you need to hear that this morning. You've been putting something off, put, putting work off, and you need to wake up. Psalm 90, Moses says that he, he prays, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a what? A heart of wisdom. It's wise to understand that time is limited. Be diligent today. And so this is the sluggard. He's committed to a life of ease and comfort, and it is absolutely destroying him. I'm not ready to move on from his house though because I would imagine that there's a lot of people in this room that are standing outside of the sluggard's house with Solomon going, yeah, preach it, Solomon. Lazy people need to hear that. My lawn would never look like that. I, I, I'm perfectly manicured. Solomon is standing outside of somebody else's house. I'm early to bed, early to rise. I don't even need an alarm clock. I wake up at 4 a.m. every morning. My checklist is done by noon. I am diligent. I work 80 hours a week. Friends, there is a type of sluggard that hides behind 80-hour work weeks. This is the kind of sluggard that works hard to make a living and bring in money, but listen, he neglects the most important things in life. They work so they don't have to face the realities of a broken-down soul, a broken-down family, an extra weekend here, another project there. I'll read my Bible tomorrow. I know I need to have that conversation with my kid, with my wife. I'll do it tomorrow. I got to go to work right now. They'll face it later, later, later. I'll confess that sin later. The same type of corruption is happening in the, in the life of the sluggard. Do you hear that? They will wake up one day and realize that their marriage is overgrown with weeds. And that their family, the walls of their home have broken down. The walls of their soul have broken down because they never pray, they never worship, they never confess, they never go to Christ. Listen to Charles Spurgeon, if I must be idle, let it be seen in my field, in my garden, and not in my soul. Are you paying attention to the most important things in your life? We need help. How do wise people go about work? We've seen how to avoid it. And maybe you've related to that. Maybe, maybe the Lord will wake you up this morning, but what do you do? How do you go about work? Solomon will tell us. He is always happy to show us an ideal picture. As we go through the Proverbs week after week, again, we're seeing that Solomon is, is setting the bar very high. He'll show us the ideal. And so let's observe an ideal worker. Where do you think he's gonna take us? The farm, the market, palace. All of those are great and they have wonderful workers, but Solomon will take us to a simple home 
and ask us to observe a simple woman serving her family quite well. We're gonna look at Proverbs 31 briefly as we close our time this morning. Proverbs 31, this is typically the domain of women's ministry, right? This is the a chapter that deals with the excellent wife, but I think it's the logical conclusion to the entire book of Proverbs. If you wanna apply wisdom, what does that look like? It looks like this excellent and godly wife in Proverbs 31. I think she can teach all of us a lesson. Maybe there's men in this room that have never engaged with this text as if the Lord has something to show us, but it's a word for the entire church. Solomon says quite a bit about this woman, how she is a wife, but he really hones in on her work ethic. This woman is working extremely well. And so I wanna mention just two qualities of her incredible work this morning. She's, it's inspiring. How does she go about her work? First, she is diligent. She is diligent. Look at verse 15. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maiden. Verse 27 she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. I love how that's phrased. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. She is working for her family. Now compare this woman to the sluggard for a moment. The sluggard is tossing and turning all morning long. This woman has been up before the day began. She's diligent. The sluggard is inside of his house looking out the window going, there's a lion out there. This woman is walking the streets at dark to prepare food for her home and for her servants. She is a diligent woman. What compels this woman to work so hard and so well? I think the answer is in the text. She's not working for herself. You, you can't work with that kind of diligence if the end goal is a comfortable, easy life. You can only work with that kind of diligence and passion if you have a greater goal. And she has a greater goal. She's working for her family for her servants, for her community. She has laid down her life. She's not working so that she can slip into her PJs and do her own thing at night. She's working to see everyone around her grow and everyone around her rise. Our world would look at her and go, you are a fool. You are wasting the best years of your life. You need to get out of there and go do something for yourself. God looks at her and says, she is excellent. And she will reap the fruit of her work. Listen to the last four verses of this entire book we've been studying in Proverbs. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Does that sound like a miserable woman? No. Everyone rising up around her, calling her blessed. Eat of the fruit of your hands. That sounds like a reward. And here's why. Because in the Bible, a life of service and sacrifice, when you've died to yourself and given up your own goals and agenda and pursuit and you're living for other people, you know what the Bible calls that? Freedom. Joy. Blessings. Reward. That's what that life is. It's a life of freedom. Jesus said it, if, if a seed refuses to fall to the ground and die, what happens to it? It remains alone. And that's our world. That's the world we live in. That's the world. When you leave this room, you will be confronted. Don't give your life up. Live for yourself. Be comfortable. Be easygoing. Don't face hard things. Live for yourself. It remains alone. But if that seed dies, what happens? It bears much fruit. Isn't that what you want? It bears much fruit. Look to Jesus. If you want a fruitful life, he gave his life and died. 
bearing much fruit. And he's empowered us now to give up our own lives, given us the spirit to enable us to lay down our own lives and to live for other people. Jesus wants us to live for other people. If you have the mind of Christ, you can consider others better than yourself. You can enter into a life of service. Does that sound miserable? Yes to our world, but no if you're, if you're tuned in with the Lord. It sounds miserable, but it's a life to freedom. You wanna know what a truly miserable life is? Stay in bed. Live for yourself. You'll live a very small life. You'll have lots of cheap thrills, shallow adventures, but it will kill you. If you lay down your life for the sake of the gospel, God will exalt you. You will reap a reward. As I was preparing this part of the text, I happened to observe an ant crawling across my deck. This is actually where Solomon tells us to go, to consider the ant. She has no master, no ruler, and yet she's the hardest worker on your driveway. As I observed that ant, it struck me that this ant was a small picture of a gospel-centered life. The gospel is everywhere. If you just look, the gospel's crawling all around your living room, right? So before you squash it, remember, it's a picture of the gospel right there. Squash it away now. Why didn't that ant, so this ant was carrying around this massive load of food. Of course, it was just a little speck, a little crumb. But to that ant, it's this massive load of food. We're on the second floor deck. I don't know how long it will take him to get home. And I was watching that ant and I thought, just drop it and eat it. You've got food. Why are you wasting all this time, all this energy? Drop it and eat it like a vulture. Drop it and eat it like a 21st century American. Just gorge yourself, live for yourself. Why doesn't the ant do that? The ant's not working for the ant. That's why. The ant is working for the colony. That speck of food doesn't belong to that ant alone. It belongs to his brothers and his sisters. What a beautiful picture of the church where all of us are carrying one another's burdens. Galatians 6 says, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What if we gave up pursuit of our own comfort, our own life of ease, and we, we began to work for one another? I think the world would see a beautiful picture. Now, when you enter this type of life, instead of becoming miserable and burdened, guess what's gonna happen to your work? It's gonna become joyful. This is the last thing I'll say about this woman. Verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Now, that word willing means joyful, filled with pleasure. Her hands are filled with pleasure as she seeks the goods for her family. She's excited to work. She doesn't get up before dawn because she has a long list and she's stressed out and I gotta get up at 4 a.m. to get my list done. She gets up before a.m. because she's excited about working for the people in her life. Do you work that way? Is that what gets you up in the morning? You're excited. God has called you to a particular line of work that you're just thrilled about where you get to serve and bless other people, serve and bless your family. That's what drives this woman. It's possible to work with joy. Proverbs 15, 19 says that the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. The path of the upright is a level highway. Think about that. If you're lazy, you're working for yourself, you're working for comfort, your, your path will be filled with futility and frustration. Nobody wants to just hedge through a path of thorns, right? Just, just get scratched up. If you're not in Christ, it will necessarily be frustrating and futile. It will be like you're rolling a ball up a giant hill and at the end of the day, you watch it roll back. And the next day, you roll it back up that hill 
and it rolls back down. But if you're in Christ, listen to this. And Jesus has died for you and hung on a cross with a crown of thorns on his head and took the frustration and the futility and the sin that we deserve, if Jesus has taken that, your life, your work can now be fruitful, can now be joyful. You can do it with diligence and joy and passion. Yes, you work in a broken world and you will experience futility and frustration, but you won't go go home every night frustrated because your work now has an eternal purpose. You're working for something greater than your own kingdom. You're working for God. Whatever profession you are in, you can work with the joy in knowing that God is using you to restore a broken world. God is using you to help restore this broken world. If you're working for other people, you're not rolling a ball up a hill. Your work matters. It has eternal significance. Protestant Reformation, one of the many things that the Reformation recovered was a beautiful view of work. They enabled the priesthood of believers to go about their jobs in all of the different spheres of life with with dignity, with excellence, with joy, but I'm, I'm afraid we're losing it again. And we've prioritized one type of work over just the basic go to, go to your job and go home. The other week, I'll close with this story. We'll be done after this. I had the privilege a few weeks ago of speaking at TVR, Christian camp down the road, wonderful place. On Friday night, they always let the kids around the campfire process their week and share stories of how God moved in their life. I've been through a thousand of these and they are, they're kind of interesting sometimes. Well, one, one kid stood up and said something that I'd never heard before. He was one of the first kids to give a testimony and he just said, I just want to thank the Lord. I came into this week confused about my purpose in life, but I feel like I really heard the Lord speaking to me this week. I feel like God is calling me to design airplanes. (laughs) There was a, okay, great. All right, we don't know what quiet time book you were reading, but wonderful for you. That's not really, you know, there was just a little bit of confusion and nobody really knew what to do with that. A few minutes later, another kid stood up and gave the classic testimony. I feel like God's calling me into the ministry. (sighs) Raging applause. Everybody stood up. We're excited for this kid. I leaned over to my daughter, Audrey, who was there and said, we should have applauded just as loud for the airplane designer. That's God's work. And if you don't believe me, next time you sit down on an airplane, you ask yourself, Do I want somebody that was skilled and joyful and doing this for the sake of the Lord to be building my airplane? Yeah, it's God's work. He he will go into a life where he gets to serve other people. How many of you rely on an airplane to do your job? How many of you, like the Coopers, who this week get on an airplane and share the gospel on the other end of an airplane ride? I've just used one example, but this room is filled with examples that if done for the Lord, if done with joy, with diligence, can transform this little town. If we go about and do our job with with skill and with dignity and with passion, we we can be a light in this world. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a place for ministers of the gospel like myself. And I'm actually proud of that little boy that's called into the ministry. And I hope God calls him up to be able to preach the gospel with power and to be able to encourage people through the word of God. I'm excited about that. And I've given my life for that sake so that you can become and multiply fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's, that's exciting work to me. And I wanna do that and preach the gospel. But I've been thinking a lot about my place in the new heavens and the new earth lately. 
I'm gonna be out of a job. I'm gonna be out of a job. I need to start playing guitar or something. Hunter's not gonna be out of a job. I'm gonna be out of a job. But how sweet that day will be when Jesus returns and the king of the universe sets up his throne and we can go to work like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden before, before the fall. We can work with joy, passion, and dignity. I'm excited about that day. If Jesus, listen, if he reigns in your life right now, you can get a taste of that this week. Pray with me. Stand if you will and pray with me.